Welcome everyone to 21st Century Saints. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Just as we've gone live, um, chaos has erupted in my home. We have a very excitable dog and uh, a very excitable teenager too. So I'm really, really sorry if there's a little bit of background noise here. But that is what we do in this podcast, right? Um, you all know we have a real life podcast here. So thank you for being patient with us. Um, Welcome, welcome to 21st Century Saints, our podcast and live stream series for members and those affiliated with, those who are adjacent to or have an interest in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints here in the United Kingdom and where, Alana? Around the world. Around the world. We're worldwide. Thank you to everyone who's already in the comments. We, um, we love uh, hearing the discussion, seeing the discussion, and we hope this uh, this evening to be uh, sharing your comments on the screen. Um, it's great to have you with us. So um, tonight we, we pretty much want to get straight to business, but there's a couple of things that we we wanted just to just to share first so first of all um everybody who's been asking for our alana um alana how are you doing i'm doing pretty okay um just so glad the schools in scotland went back today <laughs> i can breathe for a bit now have peace yeah. It's been a crazy summer for our girl and she has very wisely taken, you know, taken some time just just to do the things that she has to do. Um, we're so glad you're back, though. Like, it's 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 really, really good to have you here. Um, and everyone misses you. So, um, yeah, Alain, it's good to see you looking so well. Um, we also want to thank those who have um, donated to our podcast. It means the world. Um we 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 do this because it's important to us. Um, Alana is a is an independent mother uh, looking after her daughter, flying solo and does an incredible job. Um, I'm looking after my my family. This is this is our this is our lives, and this is what we do as a labor of love. And for um, you guys to contribute to that in any way is so appreciated and so meaningful. Um, and even if um, donating is not something that you're able to do, just your support and uh, and your messages and uh, your sharing of, of, our, of our show means the world. So if you can like or share or subscribe, um, those things make a huge difference. Things like the YouTube, um, the Facebook algorithms, um, really, they, they then show our work to other people who might not might not be able to ordinarily see it. So those things make a big difference. So please subscribe, like, share, all of those things. Um, you can donate to the podcast through our donor box link, which is in the show notes. It's also on, you can find it on all of our social media pages. And if you need directed to that, then just give us a shout and we can send you a direct link. But it is there in the chat tonight for you. Um... What else do I have to tell you about? Um, okay, you know what? Let's let's just go for it. Let's let's just start tonight. We have back with us. We this is the long promised second part of our interview with our wonderful woman who we have dubbed Queen Sarah Elizabeth because she is indeed her royal mm. highness and she is doing the most incredible work. We have been talking um, behind the scenes 
about the work that Sarah Elizabeth has been doing. Um, Sarah Elizabeth is a member of the 21st Century Saints team, particularly specialising in the area that she's going to talk about tonight. Now, throughout the UK and the world, a lot of attention has turned to church safeguarding issues and child protection issues. Um, we've been working on this for a little while now, um, and we are really excited to share with you what we're actually going to be doing and what we need your help with. Um, it, it's it's pretty big. And I just want to acknowledge at the beginning of this interview that Sarah Elizabeth has been just the driving force behind it. Alana, back at the beginning of, um, of our podcasting journey, this is the subject that meant more to Alana than any other subject we were going to cover. And so we really took our time about how we wanted to address it and uh, we had lots of plans there. Um, Sarah Elizabeth has brought her expertise and drive and I am so excited for you guys to see what we have because this um, has not been done before. Um, the other really important thing that we want to acknowledge and what's driving this conversation is the audience members that we have and even those who don't necessarily watch the show but have been affected or impacted by the issues we're discussing tonight. In particular, we have um, we have people that we love very, very much who we have been watching as you share your story with us. We've been listening. We've been sitting in, um, sitting with you in your vulnerability. Thank you to all of those of you who have shared your stories and given us your time. Thank you to those who have guested on the show and those who will be sharing their voice very, very soon. We honour you and we thank you for your bravery and the impact you are making on this community is incredible. As always, we recommend that throughout this episode, you practice self-care. If uh, We're going to be talking about um, some heavy issues here. And so we may talk about things that might not be appropriate to have little ones in the room. Um, I mean, we might be, we, we might not go there, but just in case you want to put out a trigger warning that if this is something that's not right for you at this moment in time, please do take a step back, revisit it if and when you're ready, and we hold you in our hearts. Okay, with that, um, Sarah Elizabeth, welcome back to 21st Century Saints podcast and live stream. It's so great to have you here. Um Sarah, do you want to maybe for those of us who haven't, those of the audience who haven't, because um, it was a while ago, who don't remember or ha who haven't caught up in the first part of your story, yeah. um, would you be able to share what your background is and maybe just take us up to the time where we get to meet you? Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah, let's go there. Okay, so personal background i'm a mother i'm a grandmother i'm a widow my husband died very very long time ago but i'm a widow spend a lot of time with family a lot of time with children grandchildren they're all amazing all absolutely incredible um some years many years ago i think growing up i think an awful lot of people 
have had experiences of sexual harm, of abuse, of lives that go a little bit crazy as you try to cope with the impact of that, of lives that perhaps don't go the way you want them to go, and then things turn around and change. And that's certainly been my experience kind of as I've gone through life, and things turn around and change. I married an amazing man, had an amazing family. And then I became really interested in what was happening around sexual abuse, sexual harm field for people that weren't getting help and support and what was going on. And through a friend of mine joined a rape crisis group in the early 1980s. And this was the days when people didn't believe women were raped. People didn't believe sexual abuse took place. And we were up against really difficult attitudes with police, with judges, with courts, with society as a whole as we set up a rape crisis group and fundraised for every farthing that we needed and met with women and went to medicals and went to court and just supported women as they reported, supported women as they coped with the aftermath of sexual abuse, sexual harm and did that for a number of years and we offered training for police officers and this is how it was back in the 80s we went to the police training school and we were doing a training session for police officers investigating sexual crime and this police officer looked at me he said well the problem with you like is you're feminist lesbian social workers aren't you i'm like you got two like two out of the three right there love but anyway working on the third and you know <laughs> i'm teasing at home looking after my children yeah and you're um, a member of the church at this point, right? Right, no. Yes, I was a member oh. of the church. Okay. I was yeah. a member of the church at this point. It was really interesting. And when I tried to talk to anyone at church about, oh, I'm doing this rape crisis bit, they were a bit like, oh, do you think that's an appropriate thing to be doing, talking about sexual abuse and sexual harm? I think, yeah, actually, it's probably a very appropriate thing to be doing. But it wasn't something that was understood at church about why I felt we needed to talk to victims. And I think... There was an element of people thinking, but you're a woman and you're a mother and these aren't very nice topics to discuss, are they? So do you really mm. think it's good for your spirit to be out there in this dirty, horrible world yeah. talking about these dirty, horrible things? And I think that was, that was some of the... For, for those of you, for those of our audience who are, who haven't been members of the church, um, could you remind us about um, women in the church? We we have a women's organisation, which is extremely large, um, which is Relief Society. What What's the purpose of Relief Society again? Well, well, the motto of Relief Society is charity never faileth. And so therefore, with the motto being charity never faileth, the purpose of Relief Society is to serve and minister and lift up those that are struggling, those that are weary, those that are in need. Those are our baptismal covenants, aren't they, as well? Those are also the purposes of Relief Society, to care for those around us, as well as the spiritual education and all the other educational work that Relief Society does. So, yeah, at this time I was a member of the church and I was doing all the sort of normal LDS calling type stuff, you know, serving in primary, young women's. My husband was a member of the church, very active, very involved in the church at that point. And then as time went on, Jerry became less and less interested in the church. He started questioning a lot of things, a lot of teachings, a lot of doctrines about the church. And I'm just there like, say, have faith. What's the matter with you? Have a bit of faith. It will be okay. But actually, he was ahead of his time. And I'm thinking now I'm where he was. Okay. 30 years ago, which is kind of really interesting. Um, so he did eventually stop coming to church, but that was probably not till the 1990s. Our kids, we had four kids, they were sort of teenagers, and one by one they 
as in their teenage years between about 15 and 17 kind of fell away and stopped coming out to church but i carried on because i thought this was the right thing for our family we're sealed in the temple we need to be at church we need to be doing the things we need to be doing anyway so church continued for me and i was kind of absolutely i drank the kool-aid i bathed in the kool-aid i was all in doing all the things that you do as a good latter-day saint woman you know you pay your tithing even when you think well i don't think i've got enough money for the bills and the food but you pay your tithing and you go to the temple and you serve in your callings and you do what you're doing and you don't read things you don't question other things partly because you're so busy you haven't got time and partly because we are told stay close to the spirit and you won't stay close to the spirit if you're looking at things outside the church but that gradually changed for me and I started looking at other things I started questioning and thinking this isn't right I'm not happy with this I don't feel comfortable with that teaching that doctrine that culture that practice and a lot of it was culture and practice that we were as a church thinking is doctrine and can't change but the, the, I mean, the first item that fell off off for me on my shelf was that um about black people not being given the priesthood when i was baptized in 1979 i was not told that mm. nothing about that until several months later and when i learned about that it threw me into absolute shock like you're telling me that you wouldn't just because somebody's race and ethnicity and that absolutely shocked me and i couldn't make sense of it and i've kind of never forgotten that experience to this day although it was a long time ago um the role of women was in the church is however people want to sum it up is subservient to men bottom line of it we ordain 12-year-old boys in our church 11-year-old boys now in some cases but we ordain 12-year-old boys in our church but we don't ordain spiritually mature, emotionally mature, life experienced adult women. But we, we, we ordain teenage boys. And then we get told all of the, um, well, actually, women don't need the priesthood. It's because you're steps ahead of men anyway. So men have the priesthood to bring them up to where you are as women. You don't need the priesthood, which we all know is just complete and utter rubbish, saying it as tactfully as I can we know that's not true but we know that's the pat on the head almost to be a good woman and stay in your place isn't it we we have a lot of audience members who are active latter-day saints and I'm so glad that they're here that is an answer can, so when you say that doesn't work can you talk about why I think it doesn't work from it doesn't work for me and I'm going to come back to the fabulous bits about the church in a minute. Yes, yes, so yes. Some fabulous. I love the LDS church. And, and some people say to me, you know, you don't. And I do. I love the LDS church. I love the wacky history. I love the magical doctrines. I love the people. I love so much about the church. We'll come back to that in a minute. Hmm. It doesn't work for me because it's a little bit, I kind of have a bit of a motto through life. We believe what people do, not what people say. And I think it's okay for the church to say you are equal with men, but you don't have the same decision-making authority. You're the primary president, but you don't get to decide who you're going to have and how you're going to do this because here's the manual, here's the book, and we're the men, and we will preside and determine it for you. So I think we get told we're equal. We get told that men have a lot to learn from us we get told that we're kind of more organized and we do things better than the men which are messages that we all get a lot as we go through church as women 
And yet, the one thing that would make a lot of sense there is, well, in that case, then put us in leadership positions and give us the power and authority to really be able to use those talents and those God-given talents and skills and experience that we have and give us the authority to be able to use those. So I think that it, it's, it becomes quite a difficult situation, doesn't it? And I think increasingly today, as you see two children, you know, brothers, sisters approaching the age of 12, the boy suddenly has a whole route through the church of like priesthood, priesthood responsibilities, duties on Sunday during the week. And his sister hasn't got those. So it's quite, it, you know, it's this kind of that imbalance of how we, how we do better as a church to make that work, isn't it? And I think that and, brings challenges. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've been focusing on personally um, a lot, especially this past few months, but it's been building up for many years, is when someone is telling you a system works. Now, I'm, I'm not solely talking about church and I'm not necessarily talking about church but when someone tells you a system works and that this is really good and look we can even demonstrate why it's working on paper but you have your own lived experience in your own life and you can say wait a minute this isn't working this feels really horrible and Everyone else seems really content with the answers. Those who are in authority are telling you, no, this is this is normal. This is okay. And if you're uncomfortable, it's because maybe, have you thought about doing some mindfulness? Have you thought about praying more? These kinds of things. And you end up feeling like you're completely the only person in the world who's ever, who's ever felt like this. When your experience of going to church and it not sitting right, it's actually not just you. This is why we're having these uncomfortable conversations, right? Absolutely. And I think that's right. And just kind of moving on quickly, because I know we've got far more important things to get to tonight. But um, I think I started to question and think and feel quite concerned about a lot of things happening in the church and things that weren't happening in the church around sort of how history has been taught, some of the culture, some of the practices, just some of the way things were happening across the church. And I think in search of answers for my questions, because they're not there's a culture within church where it's not very easy to sit in Sunday school or relief society and actually say, I don't think I believe that. Can we kind of discuss it a bit more? Because that doesn't always and it's not always the right place to do it either. So let's be clear about that. It's not always. Should you say that in, in relief society classes? Would you would you have said in relief society classes, could we talk about that a bit more? Um would would you have expressed I, that? I don't think I would have done it one okay. point. I would now. Right, okay, I, I see. I yeah. would quite happily say to somebody now while holding our hands, and I really don't believe that. Wow, okay. And, and I would do that comfortably now. But you I, see, I, I think that's so that exciting. Yeah, that that's that's the church I, I want to be. It, yeah. it, absolutely. <laughs> we, need, we need the church to enable us to explore, to be vulnerable, to show that we don't necessarily understand that we don't necessarily accept to show that we're all on different pages we're all in different books we're all in different places and i think we need to be able to show that and we need to be able to be confident to have those discussions and i think 
it's very much a local roulette game, isn't it? Because some wards, some relief societies, some Sunday schools, some places, you can have those discussions and feel united and loved and cared for. And it's excellent. And we've done that in our ward and it's been great. Yeah. Sometimes you can't do that and it's really difficult. And sometimes if you, if you sort of say, well, actually, tithing was never set up the way the church do tithing these days and look at things that have been taught and said about tithing over the years then that can be very very uncomfortable for people because they feel that you're questioning something that's a deeply held belief yeah and i think within the church there's the danger of a lot of shaming and a lot of guilt tripping if people don't go along with the mainstream teaching so i think that's some of the stuff that's difficult and i think when you say uncomfortable you're you're absolutely right because uh, you know i think i am so super nuanced i think most people would say that uh, <laughs> i think um but when people talk about i am instead of paying tithing i'm going to uh sign nemo's the nemo the mormon's petition we yeah. need to link to that uh, and and pay it to charity instead or i'm uh, going to choose another path that is right for me and my family i feel really uncomfortable uh, yeah and that's okay i can i you know and i don't think we're used to feeling uncomfortable at church and so it interests me that um you know a lot of the a lot of the people in the chat have been talking about their relief society experience which isn't always a positive thing I, and and women are, are speaking up about that we don't really talk about what that discomfort is and i think discomfort is at the root of some of the things that we are going to talk about so while Relief Society can absolutely this is one of sort of the things that Alana feels super strongly about um we're in a women's organization that is uniquely placed and has funding to work what you know what we could call miracles it can do oh, incredible yeah. things yeah. and and we do uh, you know we we've got to see um relief societies collecting uh for women's aid support collecting yeah. for humanitarian aid support but it interests me that okay we, we can collect and support for vulnerable but there isn't the sort of one to what you know if we were to really talk about why people are experiencing displacement and require humanitarian aid or if we were to speak about why the woman is in um is in a, a, a relief society um sorry why, why the women why the women is in a, a, a what would we call it, um a women's shelter why mm. a women's having to use women's aid um not only that we we don't actually have any ability to sort of counsel or recognize when a woman we don't talk about how to recognize the you know the signs of abuse if a woman in our own congregation is being abused you know those types of things so we we can do up to a point but there's nothing really that's changing within us and i think that's massive that you just said that and it's something that we need to kind of stick a pin in and come back to yes yes what you just said there is massive in that we're going to talk about our safeguarding campaign and role that we have taken on board for ourselves in a moment but one of the real things is to really make a difference in safeguarding we have got to be uncomfortable and we have got to be unsettled and we have got to experience holy disruption holy Ooh. disruption is real and we have to experience holy disruption when we are shifted out of place in every which way so that we can then explore 
what is abuse what is sexual harm how is that perpetrated how does it happen how do i recognize it and so we've got to actually get to a point where we're really able to be really uncomfortable and do all that don't we and, and those are really important things to do so then kind of around about that time i think i met up with you guys online and so there was kind of a few of us that were starting to chat online and i think through kind of sunstone really and we started to kind of smaller groups to have discussions and talk and we were meeting occasionally and doing the and we were actually a while ago a couple of years back we were doing the odd sunday school lesson or family home evening and things weren't we all together to try and have discussions about things that were important and mattered to us uh, uh, come follow me we we use the new come follow me curriculum we yeah, you know yeah. uh in, in yeah. a bed to sort of you know have those discussions yeah i was open up and have the kind of discussions that we wanted to see happening in across the across the board and i think um, i say that because i want to sort of you know like we are we were using church materials this wasn't sort of like some crazy little niche thing that we're going to oh. go back and study old things that brigham young one said and get disrupted you know we were like actually looking at what is being taught and yeah and i think that i think that's the one thing i would love i would absolutely love to try and get across to our LDS friends and those LDS members that we love and we care about and we love to be with, this is not some anti-church, how can we destroy the church? This is about, there is a church there that is massively powerful and influential and strong financially, number-wise, with resources, people, things, everything, all of it. It's yeah. massive. And the force for good that could be achieved by the LDS Mormon, victory for Satan there, need to be careful, the LDS Mormon, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is phenomenal, the, the potential for good. But there are too many things that get in the way of good. And the things that yeah. get in the way of good are manuals, correlation, guilt, shame, and people wanting to toe the line and not be uncomfortable and they get in the way of the really really good stuff that could be happening so then i came to sunstone and actually came to sunstone on the back of i stopped going to church i was going to church most weeks maybe not every single but the vast majority of weeks i was going to church with varying attitudes i have to say i have to be own that and i was totally going to church with various attitudes that were from complete and utter silence to really seriously and having discussions with bishops and state presidents about what i felt and why i felt it and where i stood and my viewing opinions and so which range from kind of okay to extremely uncomfortable and difficult and then when covid came and church stopped it was like a gift from heaven for me at that mm -hmm. time because all of a sudden it took all the pressure away from church i didn't have to go and nobody was going to phone me up to say where are you and can you do this and can you do that and it was just like wow this is lovely and then i realized that my life had become a lot more peaceful and a lot calmer and i had settled down a lot and i wasn't getting riled up every other day about something that another apostle had said i was kind of chilling out and then i came to sunstone okay tell our audience who don't know what what sunstone is is it an apostate no. sort of okay no, you, you may do better at explaining Sunstone than me. Sunstone is an organisation that is worldwide. There's lots and lots of branches of Sunstone happening. And it's an opportunity for people to take on board very seriously the statement and belief that there's more than one way to Mormon. 
that we don't all have to think, feel, do the same, that we can come from a restorationist background and that we can have a wide variety of beliefs, of cultural needs, of personal needs, of diversity, of difference, and we can come together within that and we can respect and understand and care about one another and listen to one another's views and try to kind of find the good and find the way that's going to work for us. And that's going to be a slightly different path for everybody, depending on what we feel, what we believe, what we think. But it's an opportunity for safe discussion in a supportive environment where difference is tolerated and it's okay. And so an example of, no, that, that's absolutely perfect. Um, you know, but I, I, I just, I guess I'm thinking about bishops and members who listen to this have never heard of Sunstone in, in the British Isles. Um, you know, it, it does sound very suspicious if you don't know what it is. And, uh, and, you know, people who do know what it is, it might not be for you. But for example, on that first uh, Sunstone that we met, and Alan and I had been to a couple before, um, We've gotten to hear presentations where, um, you know, for example, a teacher was talking about how he was building a curriculum where Mormonism was going to be taught in, in this high school class and how that was going to look. And it was fascinating. We had, you know, people pre making presentations on parenting. We had people making presentations about church history, um, about, you know, sort of different sort of nuanced aspects of just so, so um, engaging and fascinating. Um, and there's a social aspect and you get to meet all of these different um people who are perhaps not members who perhaps are nuanced members of the Latter-day Saint movement and also all of these different restoration traditions it is so welcoming so supportive and uh and can't just say spiritual yeah and some people at Sunstone that are holding significant leadership positions and callings within the yes. church and really love what they're doing but recognize there's room for greater understanding of where each other are on their journey and that sunstone's a place for those discussions to happen yeah it's um, not just people who are questioning doubting it's some people that are like do you know what yeah. i believe everything i believe it 100 but i need to understand where you're at and why you think that's difficult so that's i can support it, it. And, and so and that, being able to come together with working isn't it yeah being able to come together in a, in a community um, is absolutely um, it, inspiring, but also, you, you know, suddenly you're in this growth space again, which I would feel I, I crave from my church experience and other people who are having that same sort of interest too. Alana, you, you kind of like the social side of things, you know, you like just being able to hang. Lots of people just... Yeah. Just, just chat. Tell the truth, Jane. I just love to party. Oh my goodness, this woman! Uh, uh, yes, uh, I genuinely, I and I'm not kidding. I, uh, Alana was partying so hard, and I was laughing so hard with her that I genuinely caused a, myself a medical injury. Um, we we have the as a group, we have the best times, and I love that it's. Sunstone in the UK has a very British flavour to it so we get that sort of little bit of British cheekiness there's you know that there really is a, a, an element of Sunstone UK that can only happen here under these circumstances 
And it's happening again in a few weeks. We will send a link in the show notes. So thank you to uh, Julian and Laura who are organising Sunstone UK. So we got to meet you and it felt very much like, you know, kindred spirit, someone who's like coming up for air, like, you know, mm. yes, this is what I needed. Um, talk to us a little bit about then what happens after so so covid we we sort of we first met right around covid sort of dealing with after the first wave and also what i'd like to ask you is the most common question that that people have been asking us is so what what is sarah's back how how is sarah so amazing (laughs) well i wanted to come to that because i think that will lead us into getting on to talking about safeguarding so somewhere along the course of my life I decided that I, that I was particularly interested in what was happening in people's lives from my own life experiences, but also from things that I'd seen when I was working with rape crisis. And I took myself off to university and did some various things, did a degree, did a master's, did a few things like that, and qualified as a probation officer and social worker. And this was back in the day when the qualification was the same for both professional routes, so I can work as either because it was the same professional route. And the area of, of work that particularly interested me was sexual abuse and sexual harm and sexual offending. And it was, why have we got people that are committing sexual offences? What is this about? What intervention? What risk management? Where's the intersection of safeguarding, of therapeutic intervention, and of risk management? And how do those all come together? And how do we make those work? And I worked for 25, 30 odd years in that field with adults and with children and young people that were both, sometimes they, well, the vast majority, all of them had harmed in some way sexually, all of them at some point in some way. A significant number had experienced a huge amounts of trauma in their own life, whether that was neglect, bereavement, loss, huge amounts of trauma in different ways. Contrary to public belief, not many had been sexually abused because contrary to this myth that abounds in society, people that are victims do not go on to be abusers. You you may find some people do, but there's other stuff going on in their life that's triggered you know, those behaviours. So I was particularly interested yeah. in that field of work and did a lot of work. And as part of the work I was doing, over the years, I had different roles over the years. I worked for the voluntary sector, I worked for the public sector, I worked for probation service, I worked for safeguarding, I worked for youth offending. I've done sort of consultancy and trainings to sort of police, judiciary, schools, education, health, multi-agency across the board with people needing to try and kind of understand how to manage this, what to do, how are they going to work with these victims that were coming into school that were traumatised, how are they going to work with these people that have perpetrated harm, how are they going to work with that, you know, so did a lot of work around all of that, Um, managed a team of practitioners that were doing that work and had, it was probably, probably very blessed to have a career that was fantastic, that I loved, it was hard, it was difficult, there were days when you raged, there were days when you wanted to scream, there were days when you laughed there were days when you had miracles when you saw fantastic change happen in people's lives and you sat there and thought that's what it's about well that much change that's what it's about so lots and lots of experiences with lots of people doing all all kinds of stuff you you know around the course of those years that i worked and then 
I made the decision last year that it was time for me to leave. I thought, I, I, I'm done. I thought, I'm well past my sell-by date for this work. And I kind of let resigned from work at the end of December, but have kept an interest in this and still kind of had regular conversations with people I used to work with and sort of keep on top of what's going on to some extent and have not yet decided. So that I might get back into some training and consultancy because I do enjoy doing that. Yeah, uh, well, actually, I feel like we, we possibly mentioned this during our last episode, but I want to just really highlight this. Mm. So in a ward um, where we are surrounded by family-focused programs, we have youth work, we have uh, you know the primary organisation – all of the events that happen around that, you are a member of Relief Society, which has this specific mission um, to, to fulfill charitable work in the world and to, to do good, to relieve the poor, um, that kind of ministry. Have you ever in church been asked to share what, you, what your incredible experience is? Have you ever been asked to do anything with that? No, one of the, let me just tell you something first and then answer that. Sure, question. sure. Of one of the things that I used to do was I was responsible for taking part in various aspects of risk management of sexual offenders in the community. And very often that brought me into contact with churches because very often people wanted to go to church. And sometimes these were kids. Sometimes these were kids that their parents wanted to have at church with them. Sometimes this was foster parents that said, foster parents that said, I want this kid to come to church. He's come to live with me. I want to take him to my church. Sometimes they were adults. And sometimes there was real worry about why they wanted to go to church. But sometimes there was a real need to kind of respond to that. So one of the roles that I had was about helping churches think through risk management, how to make this safe. Could it be safe? And if it couldn't be safe, what were we going to do about it to prevent this happening? And if it could be safe, how were we going to monitor that and check it was? So that was one of the roles that I also kind of had throughout my, my career at various stages. And so I had quite a good understanding of what was going on across a lot of churches. I have been aware on some occasions of particular issues within my own church. And I have offered to help. I have offered to step in and say, do you know what? I can help you think through this. I can offer to do some training for the bishops around this one. Let's have a look at your child protection policies. Let's have a look at this. And I've been told on quite a few occasions, no, it's okay. It's all in hand. The priests have it all under control. And do you know what? Of course I'm they do. I'm just going to say it. No, you don't have it under control. LDS Church, you do not have safeguarding under control. You do not have a grip on this at all. Back to what I wanted to say about how amazing this church is. All children need, they need to feel part of a community, they need to feel loved, they need to feel nurtured, they need safe places to be, to grow, to develop, opportunities to try new skills, opportunities to feel they're important, they're valued, they're wanted. Kids all need that. And the church can offer that and is in a position uniquely to provide and to offer that. And that's one of the good bits about the church that I love. But the problem we have got is the church is not doing it safely. Not doing it safely one little bit. We have got huge gaps and huge problems 
within the church at this moment in time around safeguarding and that's why we've come together as we have now to say to the church these are some of the things that we consider to be a problem these are some of the things that we think are essential and critical for you to get into place and this is our offer of help to you because we're not sitting here saying you know what you better sort that out i am sitting here saying do you know what bishops like presidents leaders I will help you. I will use my expertise. I will use my knowledge. I will meet with you. I will discuss with you. I will work with you. Find somebody to work with me and I will work with you to look at training, education, safeguarding, managing risk and look at how we can pull that together in a community where we can increase safety dramatically. It hasn't been accepted in the past and now I don't know because I'm a kind of, yes, I'm still involved in church. I go to church, not every week, but I, I go probably once, twice a month. Um, I don't know how well that would be received now, but that's my offer on the table. I, I just can't understand, though, why they don't want to do it. You know, we just have to, not to bring this one specific church in, but we need to look at what happened with the Catholic Church well, and we how do. all that came out. And well, surely they've got to learn from that. Surely they want to learn from that. They must know. They, I, I feel like, maybe not, maybe I'm just expecting too much from them, but I feel like they must be sitting in their offices and things now thinking, more and more stories are coming out, this is going to blow up, like, what do we need to... Surely they would be thinking, what can we do to change us? And not because, obviously, in my opinion, they do it because they don't want the, the church to have a bad name. But why would you not want to protect children? Why would you not want to safeguard children? It blows my mind why they don't want to do it Alana, or why they don't show that they're doing it. Yeah. Alana, I'm with you on it. I don't understand why they don't. And the first thing I'd like to say, before I've got an amazing quote to share with you, but the first thing I want to say before I share my amazing quote is LDS Church, leaders, whoever you are that might hear about this work that we're doing, this podcast, whoever you are, let me be clear, if you believe that you are doing everything that you should do, both legally and morally, and that you have got strong, robust safeguarding procedures in place across the church, and you think that we have no need to be involved in this whatsoever, then show us the evidence. Show us what you're doing, share it with us, and let us know what is in place, and we will tell the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. and not, and not yeah. just because it's law in that country, like recently right. happened, because absolutely. the law forces them to do so. Just do it. Show well, the world that you're willing to change. That's all I'm asking. Do you know what? One of the things for me, it is a morally bankrupt position for the church to take with the resources that the LDS church has at its disposal. It is morally bankrupt for the church to do the bare minimum in safeguarding. The church should not be thinking, oh, we have to do this, so we do that. The church should be thinking, what is the model of excellence that we can put into place here? And shall I tell you where our mission has come from? I shared this with you earlier. Well, actually, before you share this with us, Sarah, could I get you just to address one, one point? So first of all, we do have a question asking if LDS family services still exist in the UK. No, the believe the answer to that is no. no. Um, it, it was closed down quite a while ago and uh, it's sort of things are dealt with at a local level. Um, yeah. Are the bathrooms at church safeguarded for young children coming in there? Nope. And Sarah's going to have some things to say about that too. 
But I, I'd like you to address um, address this question and because I feel like for members of the church, we are... I mean, we, we are, we're being told that this, we have the gold standard for training, that we have training in place, um, that I, I've done that training, and we are going to come back and talk about that training, um, you know, next week, I believe, on a panel and some other things. Um, we, we have... I would say that training isn't very good. I think you would say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all we're on the same page having having done it. It's what is that, like, a few minutes video clip, five minutes maybe. If somebody from my team had written that training, because they used to write training programs to go out to specific audiences, and if somebody from my team had written that training program, I'd have gone through it as a manager and said, "Can you rewrite this? It's a load of rubbish." Um, what I'd like you to address, though, is the. The church is a church of order that the bishop might not have all the answers, but he can get them mm -hmm. and he can escalate it to a state presidency that they have councillors, they have a high council, they have area presidencies that if something is happening, we can rely that the priesthood who are in charge of managing the church do what we all believe that you, you know, if, if that's the order, we are expected to believe and sustain that that's the case. Now, you're suggesting that that isn't happening or that isn't working. So could you maybe speak a little bit to the fact that we as church members get to feel safe, that actually our church is safe, it's robust, that people who know better are in charge and are, and are constantly looking at these things? Can I just push, oh, push back? <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens at Sunstone UK. This is what happens when you're sleep. <laughs> we said the, the, the church is a church of order. Are they? I don't think they are. They like to believe they are. But if they were a church of order, they would have safeguarding. You know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love this woman. <laughs> okay. So the, I guess what I'm, I'm partly asking is, yeah. one, can't why can't we have confidence in leaders? So someone somewhere is looking at this. Um, a, a, an ordinary member would be thinking and does tend to think that the policies that exist are sufficient. It's in the handbook. It's it's very, very clear that it's it's important. They make it very clear it's important. And also in a church of order, often maybe that means, Sarah, this is not your job. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that's I think that's one one of the issues is there is a little bit of a it's not your job. So can you just keep your nose out and leave it alone to people whose job it is. The other problem we've got is a lot of the people that are making the decisions that are left with the responsibility. And I think the church, I will kind of call it out that I think the church are incredibly unfair to its bishops and its state presidents and its leaders, because I think it's, and there's something I'm going to mention later about a legal responsibility those men face and the church do not give them the authority and power to manage it. But... <sighs> We tell them you're responsible for these people, you're responsible for this ward, this area. And the reality is any group where you have human beings come together, you will have 
every range. You will have some people that have intentional harm in their hearts and want to be problematic and difficult and see it as a good place to go and do that because people are going to just love, accept them and won't challenge them. You've got some people who are going to be extremely vulnerable because of life experiences or mental health or disabilities. And you've got some people that know nothing about sexual abuse and sexual harm and just believe that it happens by strangers jumping out behind hedges and pulling children off the streets and don't actually understand how sexual abuse really works and operates. And the problem is the leadership of the church, for the vast majority, come from ordinary everyday walks of life. They haven't necessarily come across any of these areas in their personal life. They haven't necessarily come across any of them in their professional life. And yet the church are there saying, well, get on with it, do it. It's a manual. And it doesn't work out simply. It really doesn't. And the other bit is, the considering the church claims to have a membership of 16 million, we know that's not 16 million active, and a huge massive bank balance that I won't upset you all with by mentioning too many times tonight, but it is 120 billion plus. And considering the church has all that at its disposal, the church is actually, forget it's 50,000 plus strong missionary program, the church is actually very insular. And the church does not reach out to external organisations to help it do things. It will reach out to external organisations if the church think they've got something to offer them, but they won't reach out to them to say, can you come and help us develop robust child protection training? Can you come and help us deliver this programme of work? The church aren't good at bringing in external agencies to do things. And I think we dump it on the shoulders of bishops and state presidents and expect them to be able to deal with things without the necessary information, power and resources that they require to do it. Yeah. I remember speaking to Jane about that a long time ago and saying, you know, where our church building is, right a good bit down the bottom of the hill, we have a charity called the Moira Anderson Foundation who support children and families and even into adulthood, because I got support yeah. from them to deal with childhood sexual abuse and things. And they're there and willing to come into the church and train people and help them. Because like I've said, so many bishops and Relief Society presidents, and like I say, I don't fully blame them, because like I'm saying, they're not trained, say the stupidest things to a sexual abuse survivor that are not helpful. And there are people there willing to do it, so why not? allow yeah. them to come in and, and support people like that? Well, one of the things that's been a bugbear of mine for, for many years, and I can go back 20 years this has bugged me for, is there's an organisation that used to be called the Council for the Child Protection, Child Protection in Churches, and it's a voluntary agency that's national, and they do a lot of work internationally as well, but predominantly nationally. They now call themselves 318 which is actually quite lovely because it's the scripture reference in Proverbs 31 8. So if anybody wants to go and look it up, you'll see why they call themselves that because that's about kind of looking after the most vulnerable and speaking up for the most vulnerable. And that organisation works exclusively with faith communities, whatever that faith community is, whether it's kind of really small house group meeting or a huge, massive international organisation. They work with those faith communities to offer child protection training, advice, consultancy, <laughs> support to develop child protection procedures and safeguarding procedures and in 
incredibly important in this country they offer an umbrella service to get dbs which is disclosure and barring service which is background checks around police whether anybody's been banned from working with children checks they offer to do all of that as well and they offer all of that as a robust package to any church that will sign up for it and the last conversation i had with them i remember talking to them in my office about 20 odd years ago and i just said can I just ask you, I said, as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I said, signed up to your organisation. And the guy said, no. He said, we have approached them. He said, but they don't want to join with us. And I just think, do you know what? Go and get involved. Go to that organisation and say, we need your expertise. We need your knowledge. Oh, I've lost the sound. Sorry, it's Sarah. Sarah, could could I uh, just get you to put a pen in this for a moment because there's a question that someone's asked in the chat that I'd really like to um, invite our bestie and fellow Brit Avenger to field this question. So I'm going to just pop on uh, our our bestie priest of dispatches. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming on. Someone in the chat is asking a question about. Um, the recent Mormon Stories podcast talked a lot about procedures for uh, reporting abuse and how the helpline that the church has printed in its manuals, um, how that works. Could um, So they want to know, is do we have a similar thing in the UK? Uh, could you speak a little bit about that? Yep, yep, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, without saying too much, I have spoken very recently with the helpline in the last week or so. Um, and done my own thing to investigate how that works. The helpline, according to the solicitor I spoke to, I think Mark Johnson said they're in Nottingham, they're, they're in Leicester, um, and the solicitor who answers the phone has been, is a well-known member in Leicester, being Bishop, Stake President, Area 70, um, and has been doing this for 20 years he said the helpline was set up in 1999 in the uk now i was bishop from 2007 and i didn't know about it so it wasn't very well publicized um that it was a thing and i i could have done with it so but i just dealt with stuff myself but it's it's very much there's two solicitors that sit at the end of it they cover um, any calls from the United Kingdom, Ireland, and France. They're a father and a son. The son speaks French, so fields all the calls from France. Um, the only other helplines are Canada and the United States, and that takes you, those numbers take you straight through to the Curtin McConkie offices. And unless you pass um, like an ID check, you can't get past the receptionist there. Go figure. Um, <laughs> she hung up on me. Um, <laughs> That's the voice of a man who's tried. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but there's also Australia and New Zealand. So I don't know how big the office is there. I'm hoping that's just a small one again when I call them. Um, but there'll be more i don't know how well i've just told everyone um that i did call them so i don't know how we're going to discuss exactly what was there because in the uk um gdpr says that i can't play the call i did record the call but i can't play it um without third party kind of permission 
Um, Which so, you're never going to get. <laughs> yeah. So I, didn't, I, I didn't know if I'd just play it as kind of a whistleblower thing, but I don't know if I've got the time, energy and money to fight that case in court with them. Well, um, the, the Brit Avengers have offered to do a dramatic reconstruction. Peter is is ready, yeah. you know, to to go as am I. Um, what I would say to your audience, please go follow PD's channel, who will be keeping you informed about all of this stuff. So that is definitely something to watch. And the activism that we know, thank you for sharing that. The activism yeah, no, that we know he's doing in the background is absolutely incredible. But to further just quickly um, answer the questions. Um, so someone's asking if the abuse happened in the past 20 years, that is the number that would have been called. Is that correct? If the bishop had known if, about it. If the it. bishop knew about it, yes. Okay. Yeah. And is that number available for victims of abuse to call? No. no. It is, if you say you're a member, then they will refer you to your bishop. bishop. So. Just, can you just say that again, just for the, you know, when we stick this up on TikTok, uh, where is it referred to? The, the telephone numbers for the hotline can be found in the General Handbook of Instructions. They are for church leaders only, bishops and stake presidents. If a member who has a concern about um, abuse in the community calls that number, they will um, be immediately told to go and see their bishop or stake president because it is only for the bishops and stake presidents. I think one of the reasons for that, from what I was told, is that there's a relationship with the fact that the bishops and stake presidents work for the church, kind of officially. So they are part of the corporate church, and that lawyer is paid to work on behalf of the corporate church, not the member. So the lawyer has no relationship with the member who is just a you know a person who comes to church but does have a relationship with the lay leadership of the church so everything everything is confidential then because you have and he even said this because you have um a uh, lawyer client relationship PD, thank you for the incredible work you're doing and giving us your time tonight. I really appreciate it. I wanted to answer that question super yeah, accurately. No um, so thank you so much. And we will see you on your next episodes. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. We'll see you later, guys. Yes, thanks, PD. Okay, Sarah, uh, we, we interrupted you mid-flow to bring PD on there. So That's would you, do you remember where we were at? No. Okay, that's that, which is absolutely fine. Because... I'd like to bring it to um, the, the simple question. So we've spoken about leadership, authority, and why you're having to do it yourself. Why? So when when we all met at Sunstone and we're talking about, you know, Alana has a, a background, having had personal experience of this. This is something that was super important to us as we started podcasting. We can all recognize immediately oh my goodness, look at the wealth of, of information and connection and look at look at what this, this wonderful human being who wants to help is able to offer. Well, then surely let, let's get together. Let's let's start working on something. So what um what I'd like to know now is 
if we're saying then the system doesn't work with the best will in the world, we've got some really well-intentioned leadership. Um, the the you know the the guy who's running the helpline sounds like he's an absolutely charming, wonderful man, but there are problems. There are big problems, and what we are going to do is to be able to highlight what some of those problems are. Now, the main thing we've been hearing from. Uh, people who are sort of resistant to the discomfort over the past week as news stories have broken this is not news to anybody who mm. has sort of been involved in the broader more you know world of mormonism abuse has been happening it's being reported uh, programs like mormon stories gina colvin's a thoughtful faith lots of other organizations and podcasts are bringing this to light and church members who are very uncomfortable with this idea are taking comfort in the idea and sort of speaking it online to say this, look, not in my words, this, this doesn't really happen. It's not that prevalent. We get rogue bishops. Could you speak a little bit to that? Do you know that whole bit about not in my world? We don't know that, do we? This is the problem in the church, is this belief that it's not happening. And if it was happening, we would know who these people were and it would be very rare and very unusual. But we're seeing mission presidents, presidents of state presidents, we're seeing missionaries, we're seeing bishops, we're seeing members that have got other callings. We are seeing a wide range of people ending up in court for sexual abuse and being convicted and serving sort of sentences in some cases for that but we're seeing it happening across the church that we can't take the view that it's not going to happen in my ward because we don't know because you don't know who is that person who's just moved into the ward what do we know about them what do we know about their background what do we know about people's values and beliefs and it, it, part of the problem is what we are already doing in a church as safeguarding at the moment leads people to have a false sense of safety mm. you have this rather strange idea that this spatial animated video that people watch is going to tell them what they need to know about safeguarding and sexual harm and how to report abuse and how to deal with it it's actually not and we need to come to that in more detail another time we're not in i have yet to walk into a building and if somebody tells me this is happening please like we said at the beginning if we are wrong and the church have got this now tell us i have yet to walk into any church-owned building in this country and wherever i've been and see any information displayed on the wall that tells you who the safeguarding lead is who to talk to if you've got any concerns about a child or safeguarding how to report abuse and where to get support yourself if you feel you're, being, you, you're at risk or you've been abused. That information should be displayed publicly in every single building that we use as a church. Every other church I go into has that information around somewhere that you can see it. I've never seen it in one of our churches. I've seen it in loads of other churches, but never one of ours. First and thing you see when you walk into, yeah. uh, you know, using the example that's been mentioned before, um, first thing you see when you walk into a Catholic church is the safeguarding information, and they have a, a specific safeguarding officer. Um, just to answer one of the questions also, Scotland has and uh, Ireland have slightly different laws. England and Wales, I believe, are, are sort of, they, they have, 
you've got one set of laws we have i mean they're sort of similar in intent but there are different things going on so when we come to the work that we're doing um we are representing and covering the whole of the british isles which will include all of those separate laws um the yeah. other thing i just want to mention is that um and i'm aware that our alana is going to have to dash away in just a second um no no if, not just now okay i wait, just so, remembered something that um, right, okay, I'll come to you in just a little second, but I just had wanted to say that often what happens, and we've been able to see from recent media coverage too, that often what happens is when abuse is reported, actually everyone knows, yeah. or yeah. some people know. Um, and yet, and this is in my personal experience too, I've been able to see this, you know, you, you, someone's literally saying, no, this doesn't happen, not in our ward oh that yeah well you know if that because yeah we're keeping an eye on that situation and if you need any help just come and let you so you know they, they kind of know but don't really like to think of it <laughs> i mean it's ridiculous they don't like to call abuse abuse so what happens is we get not only our personal experience but we get you know to to start talking just talking about a subject like this and suddenly we have we have people from all over the world but you know our focus is in the british isles from right here people that we know and love who are talking about abuse we are offering um support in these conversations that we are having are supporting people that have never been members of the church but are supporting teenagers who have been abused and their families i mean the most the most awful things that people know, but we cannot say it's abuse because we cannot even have the discussion about it. Well, part of the problem, what, part of the reason why I feel so strongly that we should have that information displayed in every one of our buildings, mm. and we don't, is because it creates a culture immediately that says this is an organisation that recognises abuse happens, that will believe somebody if they want to talk about abuse and is ready to hear the conversation. And I know we're a million miles from that. But the fact is, we're not actually telling anyone that we're ready to have that discussion. Yes, yes. If we talk about, if you have a lesson with youth or primary children or young men, young women, and it's anything to do with sex, it's usually about chastity, modesty, and purity. It's not about consent, healthy relationships, and abuse. And so we don't have a culture within our church where we talk about this openly and readily and we acknowledge that there will be things happen in the church because the church is made up of human beings and we acknowledge that there will be abuse and harm happen in the church mm. and where we talk about this openly. So we're not giving our children and our youth at church a language to discuss what's happening. Yes, beautifully. Understand and know that this is part and parcel of life on this earth and we need to find ways of dealing with it and um, not helping parents to understand that just because you're at church it doesn't mean your child is safe yeah and then we give messages to children about things like your young men's leaders called of god well if your young men's leaders called of god by inspiration of the bishop and then your men men young man's leaders wanting to watch pornography with you or masturbate with you then actually how does that work? Because he's the bishop called him by inspiration. He's called of God. I've been told I have to obey him because we're told we must obey our leaders at church. How does that work in somebody's mind, a child or a young person's mind? So we haven't got the right 
foundation of culture set up to enable those discussions to take place so um, we we are going to dig more into those types of barriers next yeah. week when we do our panel um alana you you were going to share yeah, some thoughts. no no i just remembered going back a little bit because we kind of jumped about sarah because i'm itching for you to share this quote oh, oh yeah. to the, reason, oh, yes. to the reason why we are doing this oh yeah this is going to be a motto, epic, epic. No, no, I think, first of all, I'm going to have to own and be honest, most of you and a lot of people listening, a lot of you will have heard me speak about my relationship, or not have a relationship, but my things with Dallin Oakes. And usually something Dallin Oakes says and me usually result in the files of justice burning through my heart and my soul. Right but there. <laughs> Dallin H. Oaks has given us permission and, in fact, an instruction and command from the Apostle of God to do exactly what we are doing. So this, this mission is Dallin H. Oaks has set us on this path. He's told us to do this. He said in 2012, children are highly vulnerable. They have little or no power to protect themselves and little influence on so much that is vital for their well-being now get this one because this is you this is this is us they need others to speak for them okay so dalin h oaks thank you for that thank you for that permission to grant it unto us that we can speak for these highly vulnerable children within the lds church because we will speak for them and we will continue to speak for them. So, so when we ask God who are, yeah, when, when we ask who, uh, who are you to do this, um, you know, by what authority are you acting? That's the authority. Our authority. Our authority to act and to speak for children is the authority given to us by Dalinite Jokes when he told us they need people to speak for them. So we are those people and we will speak for them and we will be educating and training hopefully many many others to do exactly the same okay let's talk like i say we are going to dig more in to some of the barriers to reporting within the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints um next week when we when we have our panel yeah we're going to be talking about what the current training looks like so that you can you know make decisions and inform decisions about whether you feel it's sufficient Globally, members who've looked at it are saying, look, this is not what's working for us. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking for everyone. Many mm. are quite happy with this. But people who have, you know, experience in this area are saying this is not only nowhere near sufficient, but actually can be a barrier. Mm. So, Sarah, you ready to talk about what's happening next? What are we doing? Well, what we are doing right now is we are going to be pulling together and we have it, we can share from now on the information about what the church should be doing around safeguarding. What should the church be doing around the regulated activities that people are participating in, which is teaching, counselling, supporting activities with children and youth. We're going to be talking about the disclosure and barring service where they should be ensuring that they have got police checks and as enhanced police checks, enhanced disclosure and barring service checks in many cases and the enhanced check will mean there will be information from the 
police around any possible convictions, reprimands, warnings. In certain incidences, it can include information where there's been allegations and concerns that haven't led to any further action. And that's not always shared, but it can include that information if the service pulling that together feel that that's relevant and important for the purpose of the DBS being sought. We're going to be talking about who should be having DBS checks, which is every person who is in contact with children and leadership positions and young people in our church. We're going to be talking about the fact that that is needed. We're going to be talking about how we can encourage leaders to do that. And we're going to be talking about we, we need to be having discussions with our leaders if we're asked to serve and say, well, OK, so are we going to do a DBS check? How's this going to happen? And let's not think we're going to call somebody at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, sustain them at nine, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and chuck them in a youth class at 11 o'clock that morning. You know, let's slow the process down and talk about the importance of slowing that process down so that some of the requirements for safeguarding training can be given true, true attention where it's needed i mean nspcc said let me read this all faith organizations and faith-based groups that come into contact with children should have a safeguarding child protection policy and procedures your policy should set out what your organization or group will do to keep children safe and your procedures should set out how you will do it now just i know we're going to talk more later but just Going on from there a little bit, one of the important things about this disclosure and barring service, which is what bishops and state presidents need to really understand, if they ask somebody in their ward to fulfil a volunteer or leadership responsibility with youth or children, and that person's name is on the disclosure and barring service list, meaning they are not allowed to work with children in a volunteer or paid capacity. And that bishop has not done a DBS check. He will not know that information and he could put somebody into a position that should not be there. If that happens, that bishop is legally responsible because he is breaking the law, because it is illegal to allow somebody to work in that position. So there's also a huge risk for members of the church in leadership positions that are not able to kind of offer due diligence and say in good faith there's been the most robust child protection procedures in place. I mean, the bare minimum talked about for child protection procedures around people working with children is there should be a written policy that should talk about the safeguarding. Anybody working with children should fill in an application form with basic information about themselves. There should be a self-declaration form to say that they don't have any convictions or cautions or final warnings or reprimands and that they are not on the DB, on the disclosure barring list. There should be some references about that person and there should be an informal interview. Now, that is manageable. That probably sounds like, well, how's the church meant to do that? Well, the church is meant to do that by not rushing into wanting somebody in a calling on the same day they decide they need them. Well, I think just on saying that, Sarah, like I remember saying this to Jane a while back as well. Now, obviously, we don't know who's within our walls already. I've just been so used to most of the people who are in my ward growing up. But you take, for instance, someone takes a missionary discussions, Joe blogs from wherever, comes in, takes the missionary discussions in the door a month or two, 
can be called into young men's, can be called into primary or whenever. We don't know who that person is. We yeah. don't know what kind of criminal record background they have or, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm not just stating it with these people, you know, with everyone, it should be the case. But we don't know who's coming in to the walls of our church because yeah. they can be vulnerable themselves and have a vulnerable yeah. background. That's but I, I think so, it's also though really important to not because you're right that there is the fact that we don't know people's backgrounds, but where the where the DBS checks are still really relevant, it can be 20, 30 plus years before you ever find out, if at all, that actually the person who was the wonderful guy at church was all the time abusing children in their care. Having a Yes, check might not actually flat. I mean, it might. Yeah, it's flat. not foolproof. It's not no, foolproof. Not, I mean, like, especially as church discipline and you know legal discipline, we are met by this wall of silence that we keep talking about. But what it is is another level of of safety. Yep. It's another safeguarding barrier that that you know that has to be taken into account. It I've should often said that it's not foolproof yeah. because we don't know if they've been found out, if they've been charged, you know. But it's just one step in the right direction to ensure that we don't have someone like that coming into the walls of our church where it's a target because they have children, they have youth. Perfect place someone like that. It, it's another part of the culture that has to change because if you're doing DBS and operating a robust safeguarding service around policies, information on display, interviews, application forms, DBSs, robust training if we are operating that that will say to a potential abuser oh this church are on it they know what they're doing and mm -hmm. it will send a message to people that we're taking it seriously i love it the, the other bit that is really interesting that the church and i strongly suggest lds church you wake up to this one and your charity commission your charity trustees you seriously need to wake up to this on the charity commission report the last one that was because in this country, we, the church has to submit reports to the Charity Commission every year. The, there are three named trustees on that Charity Commission report. I'm not going to name them tonight, but it's a, it's a matter of public record because they're on the Charity Commission report. Those three trustees hold legal responsibility for what happens in the church. If there is, They have legal responsibilities around safeguarding. Now, I hope those trustees have been fully trained, are fully insured and are fully protected against their legal responsibility because the church is not really taking care of them in that sense. The, the role of the trustees is to ensure safeguarding policies and procedures measure and measures are fit for purpose and up to date. I'm going to read it. Making sure everyone in the organisation is aware of their safeguarding responsibilities and knows how to respond to concerns. Now, trustees get worried now because I don't believe that you're, you're fulfilling that responsibility. Have a lead trustee for safeguarding and child protection. There's only three of you. Which one of you is the lead? Challenging any decisions Really interesting, this one. Challenging any decisions which adversely affect anyone's well-being. Now, I could go off on a rant for the next hour about what the trustees are doing about that, but we won't. Managing allegations of abuse against someone involved in the organisation. Reporting serious incidents as necessary. Now, that is a legal responsibility that the trustees of our charity in this country have 
for the church. So that means what? Can, can you spell that out in simple? Well, that means that those trustees need to be on top of what is happening in the church with Safeguard. And they need to be confident that they know what's happening, that there's robust training in place, that the safety procedures are in place, that the necessary guidance is in place, and that everyone in the church is following it and living up to it. And robust you... training, Sarah, and not a few minutes video that we have to watch every yeah. year or you know, so yeah. you know. every three years three now, years three years three years yeah, only every three years but i'm going to go back to what i said at the really very very beginning of this if our dear lds church if you believe that we've got this wrong and the charity your charity trustees are doing that role and are fulfilling every bit of it if you are fulfilling all of the requirements of safety recruitment around the applications interviews dbs if you are doing that if you are offering robust training if everybody in your organization knows how to identify and recognize abuse and concern and knows how to report it and knows how to make sure the victims are given help and protection if as a church you are doing all of that 100 and you think we're just here talking rubbish because you've got it in hand then show us the evidence Give us the evidence, show us what you're doing, show us how you're doing it, explain to us how it's working, because we believe what you do, not what you say. Because believing what you say is causing serious harm and leaving vulnerable people at significant risk. So we, 21st century saints, are not of a mind to believe what you say. We're of a mind to believe what you do. So please, give us the evidence, or take us up on our offer of help to work with you to put this in place. And what that's going to look like. Just um, if there are leaders out there that are listening or get to hear about this because somebody cares about the mm. vulnerability that leader is in, if you hear about this work we're trying to do, know that we are here to help and support. We're not here to tear down and destroy. We want that safe community for our children. There's families, friends, people we love in this church, and we want it to be safe. If we can help you, then reach out and ask us, and we will help. Now, I will give my time, my talent, my skill, my ability to help you mm -hmm. do this, but we're not going to sit back. Now, Dallin Jokes has told us we're not to. We're not going to sit back and do nothing. We're going to do, we're going to do what Dallin, well, old Dallin's told us to do. Thank you so much, Her Royal Highness, Queen Sarah Elizabeth of the United Kingdom. We love you. You get a crown. You absolutely, we're, we're going to make sure that happens uh, and you'll all get to be part of it. Um, Alana's going to have to dash off and so we're going to wrap up this episode. Yeah. But know that we are coming back to dive into some of the specifics next week. We've also got a couple of fun episodes coming up because uh, we know that you guys yeah. have, have stayed with us while we have been, you know, l l talking about really, really tough stuff. Thank you for doing that. But let me be super specific uh, also. We know that there is some stakes that are doing fantastic yeah. work on safeguarding which yep. I think has been predominantly led by, by you know, members who they, they've taken members up on their experience and have got great safeguarding policies. Yeah. What we want is to see that kind of thing adopted throughout the United Kingdom. So like Sarah is saying, if it's working, 
please tell us. Um, we want to share what best practice is and use case studies and good examples to show you what can be done. We are about to, within the next week, in time for the next episode, what we're going to have is um, we, we're sort of sharing a three-pronged approach. We have a steering group. We're working with the rest of the vendors and other interested parties who are advising us on what this best practice will look like and uh, supporting us in our approach. We have been uh, so supported by every organisation that, um, that myself and Sarah has reached out to, has provided us with tons of information. We want to thank the Catholic Church who have been sharing some safeguarding information with me. Uh, we asked Community of Christ, what are, what are you guys doing as a restoration movement? Exceptional. And organisations that have been set up specifically to help us, um, to help our church, it's it's incredible how much support is out there for what we want to do. But since, in the meantime, we are not seeing the results that we want to be seeing. And we also believe that the pace needs to be moving, especially as it, it really is being focused on. We, we've been working towards this for months and now coincidentally or perhaps, you know, a, a, maybe this is all God's timing. Um we have specific things that we want to do right now. So within the next week, we are going to have accessible on our website. We are asking, oh, sorry, on our social media pages, we are asking members who are serving in the church who have, or who are not, if you're less active, if you have an interest in this church, if you have a child and youth, we would like you to contact your bishop and your state president and request that your um, bishop and state president DBS check all members who may come into contact with your child. We are asking for members who may not have children in, or, you know, in the youth or primary programs to do the same thing, to contact bishops and state presidents as interested parties, as people who want to make the church a better place and who have made covenants to support members of this church. Now, if you need any support to do that, we will have a template later up for you, um, which, which we are, are currently um, working on. We've been working on it for the past few months. Um, so that should be up anytime. And uh, we will give you some more information about that. The other thing that we are doing, um, Listen Up Church, is we are asking for our um, systems to be put in place to pay more attention to the fact that these checks are not being done. So we are um, speaking with elected representatives and uh, the the you know, the, the Disclosure Scotland for, you know, for from our side of things, um, in England, uh, the people who are running the DBS systems, we are asking them to, you know, to, to help us with this fact that the church isn't fulfilling its obligations as we would expect them to as members. Um, we are offering we will be offering, we're currently putting together a package of training and information that can be accessed by state presidents, bishops, any other interested parties. And that training will be put together with the um, support and advice of not only Sarah with this incredible experience, but with um, other agencies who have um, who are best placed to be able to advise on best practice. We are asking formally for the church to listen to what the concerns are of the members and to be able to put that into action. 
like Sarah keeps um, coming back to, if you're doing something and it's working, we want to hear about it. We want to see that rolled out and not because the law is telling you that you must comply with a minimum standard, but because this is super, super important. We also want to make sure that every person who becomes aware of abuse within the church reports immediately and that that is part of the remit of our church ecclesiastical leadership. We are standing in solidarity this Saturday. There is a rally in Utah. Um, you can find out more about that on the 21st Century page or if you want to go to the Mormon Stories page. Um, the links to that main event are there. But we are also as 21st Century Saints and the Brit Avengers. We are holding a sister event, which is uh, for members of the in the UK or those interested in the UK who want to stand in solidarity with the state of Utah asking for bishops to be mandated reporters. Um, we are we are wearing, uh, Alan and I are wearing teal to stand in solidarity and we will be doing so again next week. Um, so we hope you can join us for all of that. Now before, I know that was a huge information dump. I know it was. And so while you're, while you're recovering from that, I'm going to hand over to um, Sarah first, sorry, Alana first for some final thoughts. Then I'm going to come back to Sarah. We'll say our thank yous and we'll let you guys go on with your night. So Alana, um, any final things that you want to share tonight? Just probably some of the stuff I've said before, um, just calling for the church to wake up and realise that they need to do more to protect our children. As an abuse survivor myself, you don't realise the long-lasting impact that abuse has on your life. It destroyed my life for so many years. Still does to a certain extent. It also impacts some abusers become abusers themselves, which is not their fault. It's what they've known. I'm not excusing the behaviour, but... Mm -hmm. It's common for people who have been abused to become abusers themselves. Mm. Why would you not want to protect a child from this horrific, horrific act that happens to them? It happens to them. I blamed myself for so many years that this was my fault that I allowed it to happen. I now realise that's not the case. So please, from the bottom of my heart, make those changes. Protect our children. I do not feel safe to take my child into church. I wouldn't, I'm not saying I wouldn't go to something, but I, I do things now like I won't let her to go to the toilet on her own if she's with me. I go with her, I make sure there's an adult with her. Um, you know, just simple things, just make those changes to protect our children, our youth, our vulnerable adults. Just do it. I can't, I just can't fathom in my head why it's not important to them. I just can't. And I know you're saying Sarah shows the evidence. I don't believe there is evidence because if they were doing it, we would see it. Yeah, there are no DBS checks. There are no safeguarding things within the walls of the church. It's not happening. I, I don't very often like to use this saying because I don't know how 100% I feel about it. But if you know better, do better. You know what needs to be done, so just do it. I feel like I'm advertising for a certain shoe company or a sports company. <laughs> just do it. It's that simple. You have the money. You have the resources. Protect our children. And not just our children, everyone's children. Anybody who walks through those church doors, whether it be people who are looking into the church, visitors, whatever, just protect the children. And I have to shout out to Sam Young again for everything that he did. He was amazing. He lost his membership. 
fighting for our children, which is mm. horrific. And you, Mormon Church, should be ashamed of yourself, in my opinion. Thank Rant you over. so Rant much. Over. Like, uh, Rant is far from over because Alana <laughs> will be back. Oh, and yeah. there's so much more to oh. say. Um, just, just to make clear before we come to you, Sarah, it is really important as we're talking about the rally on Friday, you guys who are in Utah and live far, far away across the sea, you guys have to be at the rally at 1.30 p.m., I believe. Uh, uh, no, wait, wait. Okay, go to the event page. Go to the <laughs> event page. Friday, August 19th, Salt Lake City at 6.30 p.m. 6.30 p.m. Because in, in time, the UK, it's 1 a.m. Yeah, we, we're all going to be up at, uh, at 1.30 a.m. in solidarity. We'll be spending the day thinking about you guys anyway. But uh, yeah, that is such an important thing in the comments. So if I'm going to have to say bye, guys, because my daughter's phoning me like, where okay. are you, mum? Because I'm not picking up. Thank you for Thank your you, time. Sarah. I love Alana, you guys. Love you. Take care. Take care, Alana. We're going to have uh, some final words from Sarah then. Um, yeah, anything you want to say in wrapping up? Yeah, there's a few things I want to say. First of all, there is no excuse for the church to do the bare minimum in safeguarding. Scriptural evidence tells us that the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. There is a scriptural command that we value children, that we look at children through the lens that Christ looked at these children and that we love and we protect and we nurture if as the church we believe our own stuff, then let's start believing that the worth of souls is great. Because I sometimes wonder how much we believe our own stuff in this church. The yes. worth of souls is great. That is the dignity, the safety, the pride, the nurturing of children. And we need to get that right. And if we are not getting that right, and if we are not doing it, silence and inaction are indefensible. It is completely indefensible for this church to remain silent and inactive when it comes to protecting children. That is ungodly silence. Mm. That is ungodly silence. And as a church, you need to repent of ungodly silence that is leaving children at risk. And you need to do something about it. It can be done. Canterbury Stake just decided they were going to do DBS checks and they did them. Canterbury Stake decided they were going to bring in experts that they had in their ward and their stake to write good procedures and train, and they did it. Canterbury Stake decided they were going to link with their local safeguarding board and do stuff. They did it, it because they had the courage and the guts to not wait to be commanded in all things. Right? They did it. And for the rest of the church leadership, you need to seriously ask yourself if you are sitting in silent inaction, which is ungodly silence, and what you're going to do about it. Because the time is far spent. And it's now time for action. We've got our robust plan together. We are so happy to be proved wrong any day anybody wants us to prove us wrong about this safeguarding go for it prove us wrong but in the meantime can we start getting it right and our offer of help we generally that offer of help is it's meant it's intended it's not words we will help any leader or anybody that wants us to support and help we will do so 
oh. we there are what 300 oh yeah can i just say that yeah that yeah, yeah. there's um in this church there's what 279 wards 41 branches so about 320 units in this church isn't the jane is that about right that's right yep mm -hmm. a dbs check is a costing around about 38 to 40 pound unless the church decides to sign up for 38 318 and use their umbrella service then it will be cheaper but if they don't they want to do their own thing it's going to cost around 38 40 pound their church could DBS 20 people in every unit throughout this country. And considering some units only have about 35 people attending, they're not going to need 20 people DBS checked. But they could do that. 20 people in each of the 320 units in this church would cost around about 245,000. And my maths is rubbish. So somebody can work that one out and tell me I got that wrong because I might have that wrong. But it's going to cost less than a quarter of a million. The church budget is what, Jane? Oh my god, Peter Bleakley, where are you? Some someone yeah. Hundred and thirty billion? Yeah. Yeah, hundred and thirty billion was the last I'd heard for the church budget. So I actually think they could find a quarter of a million. That's probably only a, I don't know, it's probably only day's interest or something, isn't it? Probably get yeah. that interest in yeah. a few days. They church can spend that. Absolutely. DBS checks done. So in the meantime, leaders. LDS leaders, repent of your ungodly silence, protect the children in your care and provide the fantastic opportunities that this church has in all its magical, wacky, fabulous restorationist tradition. Give the kids the best that you can give them. I love it. And you all can see how much we have relied on Sarah and how grateful we are to have Sarah as part of the team. Um, this incredible resource, we, we, we have not undersold how, how amazing the, the wealth of knowledge and experience is that we're able to draw on here. Um, I want to just re-emphasize the approach we're taking. We're pushing from the the membership level, the ground level. If you have an interest, speak up and ask. If you are um uh if you have a statutory obligation to support the churches and make sure that DBS checks are being carried out by by organizations throughout the UK and Ireland, we're going to ask you to make sure that our church is complying with your rules. And if not, we are asking you to investigate that. Yeah. We have so you are able to contact uh, the the DBS systems in the United Kingdom and Scotland, Ireland to ask that that is done. You can go ahead and do these things now direct. We will have set letters coming up very very soon for you to be able to use if that is in any way helpful to you. But we would love it if you would do it. Go ahead, do it personally. Um, so those are the, the first two things. And the third thing is we are going to support the church. If you need to be prepared for the, uh, the letters that are going to be sent, if you're looking at how you can implement training yourself, we are here and we are ready to help. The training that we um, are going to offer 
will come in the form of a, a package of information, but can also cover in-person training. And uh, we're, we're workshopping that over the next few months to show what that can look like and to be responsive to each need that we have. Um, we want to be proud of our church and proud of our systems. And we, we don't want to hide behind the fact that maybe things should be happening or we are hopeful that some leader has it covered we can see a failing and we want to address it right now. So we stand in support at rallies, um, but we also have things we need you to do. Now, in addition to that, um, the final thing that, that we can do, I guess, is sort of, you know, part of this, this three-pronged approach is if you have any concerns that things aren't being done wherever you live, please contact your elected representatives who will be very interested to know how they can help our organisations become better places. Yeah. Jane, can I just leave it with please. the comments that if you have any concerns at all that a child is at risk or a vulnerable adult or a vulnerable young person is at risk in your ward, your branch, your area, then please do one or two things. Either phone the police, phone the NSPCC or go online because they have an online reporting service that is anonymous or you can phone the NSPCC and there's NSPCC Scotland as well that operate the same systems. Or go onto Google and put in local safeguarding hub or board, local safeguarding board hub and find out how to contact your local safeguarding team and phone them up and share all of the concerns you have and leave it in the hands of experts to investigate. Yes. Do not feel that you have to talk to your leaders for permission to do that and do not feel that you have to not do it because you might upset the leader and they might not be very pleased with you. Do it. Okay. Um I know that we can come back to this next week whenever we, we are speaking about it. But I guess this is just, uh, you know, whenever we're, we're doing a panel, I guess this is just sort of, you know, to, to sort of highlight how we think when we think we're, ask we're acting in the best interests of someone, but we don't have the expertise. So, for example, a bishop, it's very tempting for us as church members to want to either be silent because we're uncomfortable or to say something to leaders where conversations then can start to happen that can hinder the process of reporting. So, for example, were a child to be, you know, followed up or families followed up with a with a bishop's discussion or, you know, those types of things. Having those first discussions especially have to happen by trained professionals. So this is why we're saying if you have a suspicion, if you're not sure, nobody's going to be offended if that suspicion is completely unfounded. But what will happen is people who know what they're talking about, who know what they're doing, who know how to protect children and who know how to protect vulnerable people will be able to make sure that those conversations are handled so correctly that their evidence will be protected, that they're, they're uh, you know, you get one chance. This is, I think, what I keep coming back to. You get one chance of getting this right. And so let's not, from our poor intentions or from our putting our fingers in our ears, are messing up even before we get to that first stage. So this hopefully is productive. This hopefully is exciting. We are 
we really need you guys to share the the information that we are putting out about this. So please do share this. Um, this comes from a place of love and uh, and support for uh, for the church. Yeah, um, it really does. Yeah, so thank you for everybody who's been in the comments. Uh, your your voices are incredible. Um, I'm particularly aware that even as we do this, even as we're talking about this this big picture, it always is coming back to me for to the people that we know and that we love who are out there at the moment who are deciding whether to tell their stories. We are thinking and holding in our hearts specific people. And you know who you are. Mm. We want you to know that we love you and we stand with you and that when you're ready to talk, we will amplify your voice. Now, it may not be through this channel, but when it happens, we're going to shout your story from the rooftops because we believe you and because we stand with you. Um, and we are really looking forward to telling our audience more about how amazing you are. So thank you. Your comments make all the difference. They are being read by people who need to hear them. Okay, everyone, we will see you all next week. We're going to keep you posted about what's happening um, for the panel next week. We've got some exciting, uh, cool people who will be joining us for that. Some of the Avengers and uh, all of those people that you guys love. And we'll be able to introduce you to some new people that we don't think you've met yet. Mm -hmm. um, have a perfect night. Please don't forget the rally this weekend. We would love it if you would like and support our, um, like and share our page, subscribe, do all of those wonderful things. And if you need us, contact us. Now, one thing, the final thing I'm going to leave you with is um, what I would consider a bit of a, a bit of a win. PD has been doing amazing work in the background. Please go follow his channel. Um, mm. He is, oh my goodness, so funny um, and, and does this incredible work. When he was in touch with the helpline, the fantastic advice that he was given, and it's advice that we all need to be following, is if you have concerns about a child who's in danger, immediately call the number in the United Kingdom 101 and report. Don't wait, report. And we're going to leave you with that tonight. So thank you all for your time and we'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. Make good choices. Yeah, make good choices. Bye.